It's March 16th, and today on the show, we talk about the Fury of the Gods, where Helen Mirren is the villain in a new Shazam movie. Then we talk about the true life story of how an Aztec rock star married a king. Then I'm going to tell you about the newest Creed and Scream movies and my reviews for them. Finally, we go to the vault. It's story time. So to start the show, we're talking about Flamingo Snake, Quetzalcoatl, the Chalky musician who married a king. It is one of the greatest real-life stories to ever come out of Mesoamerica, and I want to tell you guys about it. So Flamingo Snake was a musician who wandered the world with his band, and he was a very he was not just a musician, he was an activist. And one day he comes across an Aztec king. Now, it was kind of a series of weird events where someone was supposed to perform for the Aztec king, but they bowed out. They were looking for someone new. He's like, hey, I'll do it. And he did. And when you get this opportunity to perform, and not just in front of the Aztec king, you have to remember, the Aztecs were the biggest empire of the time. And he wasn't Aztec, he was Chalkin. So he's performing in front of the Aztec king. You gotta bow, you gotta do your respect stuff. And he did. But then he did something that... He was convinced, and multiple people were convinced, that was going to get him killed. See, the Aztecs didn't treat the Chalkin people very nicely, especially their women. And so Flamingo Snake had this opportunity. He had a song that he had been working on and been singing that was about the mistreatment of the Chalkin women by the Aztecs. So he's going in front of the Aztec king, and he's going to sing a song about how the king and his people are mistreating the Chalkin people. Now, the Aztecs weren't savage barbarians. But they were very short-tempered when it came to disrespecting them. So when he sang this song, everyone, including Flamingo's sake, paused in silence. They're like, oh my god, the king's gonna kill him. But then halfway through the song, the Aztec king gets up. Everyone is like, oh, this is he's just gonna kill him himself. And then he starts dancing. And the Aztec king keeps dancing, and he loves the song. It is a jammer. He's having a time of his life. He's singing with it. He's dancing with it. He's loving it. And then the big twist comes. He grabs Flamingo Snake by the hand and he brings him back and he goes, I'm going to need to borrow you for a few minutes. And um, they they fall in love, I should say. They, they kissy kissy boo boo behind the curtains. And after they're done, the king walks out and says to his, I think, seven or nine wives. And he looks at them and goes, you guys have competition. Don't worry about each other. Worry about Flamingo Snake. He's your big threat right now. And proceeds to marry and make uh, Flamingo Snake his consort. So there's this king who's got seven, eight, nine wives, something huge like that. And then he falls in love with a rock star who is kind of talking crap to him. And not only does he fall in love with a rock star and make him his personal consort, he listens to him and he stops mistreating the Chalkin people, especially their women. So you have this crazy event where this musician's like, I'm probably going to die doing this, but I'm going to do it anyways. And he ends up not only helping his people, making an amazing song, but he also ends up marrying a king. Absolutely crazy. I love it. It's a true story. There's multiple sources to confirm it. Absolutely crazy. Quetzalcoatl, the flamingo snake. I hope you enjoyed this story. Let's continue on with the podcast. Welcome to the Storytime Guide with Matthew Torres, a weekly discussion about the most important events in the world of pop and geek culture. Movies, TV, anime, comics, this is your one-stop shop for all the stories that take your imagination to highs, sometimes lows, but always to a place worth discussing. I'm Matthew Torres, and thank you for joining me. Hey everyone, here's everything you need to know about Shazam! Fury of the Gods in 60 Seconds. 
in West Philadelphia, born and raised. Oh, sorry. Nope. Different character. Shazam is the story of Billy Batson, a young orphan in Philadelphia who, in a desperate search for his birth mother, instead finds a 2,000-year-old wizard named Shazam who grants him magical powers. Where do these powers come from, you ask? Well, they come from the six immortal elders, Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. Yes, if you're scoring that at home, that spells out Shazam, which is the word that changes our young Billy Batson into the magical superhero who battles evil everywhere. The hero is based on a comic book from the 40s, and we will get into that in the 2019 Shazam. Got the big screen treatment with a film starring Zachary Levi. Tomorrow, the sequel to that film, Shazam! Fear of the Gods, opens nationwide, and here to discuss it with me is my producer, Carlos. Hey! Never seems to work when I say Shazam. I just say it over and over again. Just <laughs> no, no, no lightning from the sky to make me a superhero. That's got to be one of the coolest suit-ups ever. Like, Superman goes into a phone booth, Wonder Woman yep. spins like a tornado, low-key yep. a little silly. But Billy Batson says Shazam, boom, suited up. I, I think that's the coolest thing ever. So I totally um, agree, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like you really think about it in, in the day and age where people like Marvel, especially is like we don't want people to to suit up. This takes too long. Putting on a suit takes too long. So they come up with excuses. And I'm like, Shazam's got it right there and he's had it from the beginning. So I think that's super cool. Um, Agreed. But going into this Shazam. So what were your thoughts on the first Shazam movie? OK, so I'm a comic book nerd. I've been reading comic books most of my life. What I, I didn't know about Shazam. It was, mm -hmm. it was a character completely foreign to me. And so I wasn't all that interested in the movie. DC doesn't have the best reputation to begin with. So <laughs> I went in with absolutely zero expectations and I was very surprised. I really enjoyed the film. It had humor. It had good action. It had, as origin stories go, I thought it had heart and it was original. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I enjoyed it. I really thought the, really, Levi carries the film. He's yeah. just, he's a breath of fresh air. And I think had this been a Marvel movie, I think it would be lower tier Marvel. This being DC shoots to the top. So my wife had never seen Shazam. I did. And I liked it. I thought it was really good. My only downside, like the only thing that I'm like, this movie that holds it back is the villain. The villain is too hokey. It's too violent at times. There's this really weird scene because I was watching the movie with my son. And he actually liked it. He's like, oh, cool. Cool superhero yeah. stuff. But then there's a scene where he summons demons who starts eating people and they're screaming. And my son's like, nope, not watching this no more. And yeah. I was like, you you tuned us out for that. Like, that that's not what you do in a, a movie that you're trying to appeal to kids. Yeah. Like, it did have a serious subject about the mom abandoning her child. Holy crap. Like, what a messed up story. Beautiful. Kids can deal with that. But violent, yeah. like, gory violence, throwing people out of windows. Yeah. My five-year-old son clocked out right there. He's like, nope, not, I'm not doing this one. The villain played by Mark Strong yeah. and the villain in the first one, he summons the seven deadly sins when yeah. he's turned down by the wizard. So there's a I agree with you, like the the way that they do, like the the home, the mm -hmm. children's home where Batson is oh, staying. I thought that was done with such compassion and really it was good heart. I, I really enjoy that. Agreed with you. The, the villain was a kind of a weak point. They had to have somebody big and bad. It didn't work so well, but. But yeah, it, otherwise, you know, I think I can overlook that. Agreed. It, I think it was a really good movie. I genuinely enjoyed it. And for me, my first introduction for Shazam. So I was going into this with a little bit of like kind of knowledge. I never really read his comics, but I was mm -hmm. first introduced to Shazam during the arguably greatest animated superhero series ever made, Justice League. And you might think, OK, he's got like a little bit of lightning powers and he's like a weak Superman. Yeah, but that's not 
the reason you love Shazam and Captain Marvel, you love him because he's a kid. He's, he's this kid that doesn't yeah. know anything, that doesn't know what life is. And so you put all of this power into a teenager and see the ups and downs. And I think the movie really did get that right. But now going forward into the sequel, it looks like it's too big. It looks like it's too big of a scale. Agreed. For what they're trying to do. And that was the other part of uh, Zachary Levi is he played that man child so well. Yeah. He plays that that 13 year old boy or 12 year old boy who's all of a sudden being asked to be a hero and asked to use all of these powers when he was just worried about acne and about finding his mom <laughs> and all of the other yeah. things that teenagers go through. And so that is why the film works so well is because at the core of it, it was this grown trapped yeah. adolescence of Zachary Levi. And I think that's why it works so well. And this one feels ponderous. It feels heavy. It feels like so much is going on uh, so far in the trailer. And so yeah. I hope they find that same magic, but given the arc of DC films where everything has to get more serious and more grave, yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. So Shazam! Fury of the Gods is the sequel to Shazam. It's about three uh, Greek goddesses who want the power of Shazam for themselves. And they are slightly violent, um, some more than others. It's Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu, and Rachel Zeigler, which is, we'll get into diversity in a second, because I genuinely, this movie is probably the most diverse, first and second most diverse movies in superheroes we've ever seen. So they try to steal the power. And that goes with stealing powers from the Shazam family and Shazam himself. And he's trying to protect those powers. And there's a giant monster CGI rock dragon. That's the, that's the gist of a movie. <laughs> and so with that being said, you know, you, you look at something like this and go, okay, well, why should I watch it? And I think mm -hmm. to me, that's one thing I'm seeing from, from fans, from my wife, from a lot of people who are like, DC is getting rebooted, right? Yes. Is Shazam going to stay? Possibly not. Probably not. I don't know what your thoughts on there. I don't. I to me, it's. I think the director said this. If if it makes money, it'll stay. But yeah, I think. Okay, first of all, it came out in 2019, right? And yeah. so it was a pre-pandemic world. Obviously, this film got delayed. It got yeah. pushed back a little bit. The and again, as you said, the DC landscape has changed so much since. 2019. It's a completely mm -hmm. new regime in charge. James Gunn is in charge. Peter Safran and James Gunn are in charge. So it's really changed everything. And so I would be really surprised if this comes back. I think much like me, I were surprised by the first Shazam. This one mm -hmm. isn't going to catch them. They're going to have better expectations. And I think those expectations might eventually sink the film. Also, Helen Mirren, I, I guess she's building another house somewhere. I guess the Fast and Furious money is running out. But like, where is this? Why is what she doing What was the this? thought process in that? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. They had, well, like you're saying, Mark Strong wasn't a very good villain in the first one. Now we have Helen Mirren in this one. And I'm like, I understand Lucy Liu. She was, she's getting older in age, but she could still be an action hero. Helen Mirren cannot. I love that. She is a talented, amazing actress. Yes. Who, who thought this was a good idea? Who thought like Helen Mirren should play a villain? I went to see Scream yesterday and I saw the preview for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And mm -hmm. I don't know the name of the villain in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but he's menacing. Mm -hmm. Immediately, yeah. I saw him and I was like, that's charismatic. That's menacing. I, we just came off of Ant-Man Quantumania with Jonathan Majors as the villain. Again, there's a menace. There's this, you're just watching them. And you're like, wow, that person, I can see them being someone that, you know, a counterweight to our heroes. 
Yeah. I see Helen Mirren and I don't think that. I think, wow, that's really some incredible special effects because Helen Mirren is not, you know, <laughs> kicking she's people. Just, she's not. Yeah. No. She's not pulling this off. So, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, Which is why they probably but, have that CGI dragon. Because yes. they're like, well, we need to have a big battle, but Helen Mir- we can't put Helen Mirren up on a- some wires and throw her around. Yes. So, yeah, I no, the perfect example. Yeah, Gardens of the Galaxy, the high evolutionary is the villain. Right, that's uh, right. Played by Chuck, what, if I'm not mistaken, um, or Chuck Woody Iwiju. Yes. So, and he looks talented. We see him in Peacemaker. He's a great villain in there. Well, villainish mm-hmm. character. And we see in this that he is already intimidating. We don't know anything about the character, but we know that he's intimidating because... He's even if he's not, which he's he's just a dude. He's an average sized dude. So even if he physically fights, we go okay, yeah. And vice versa, if he he seems like the smart kind of inventor guy, so he's probably not going to fight, right? Right. And that's what right. I felt like they should have done with Mark Strong. Why would they hire Mark Strong as this character in the first villain in the first movie to play a villain that summons monsters, but then he's also punching and fighting? It's like no, he yeah. he would be a thinker. He should step back. And so in this movie, I'm like, okay, is Helen Mirren going to summon CGI monsters? No, she's going to fight herself. Why? Just let her stand back. We don't need to have these like punch, punch, punch kind of characters. Add more depth to these things. Have them save more things, you know? Like this this whole argument about Superman is it's the Superman problem. How do you make people care about Superman? By his personality, by his character, by what he does. This idea that, well, we have to throw someone just as strong at Superman. No, you don't. Have a villain who's attacking multiple cities at once. He says, hey, I'm going to rain fire down on these two cities. What are you going to do, Superman? You ain't that fast. You ain't that strong. Make him have yeah. these dilemmas. And I feel like with this, they, I'm uh, look, the movie is the movie. And y'all are going to have to, and I'll give my full review of the movie later. It's 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 what it is, right? But yeah. I genuinely feel like if Shazam does stay in the DC universe, which like I said, I think the director said, that's that's up to James Gunn and Peter Safran. Sure. I have no no choice in the matter. Um, I think it definitely does come to whether this money's this this movie's going to make money. Now, yeah, I don't know about you. I've heard some pretty lowball estimates about how much mo- money this movie is going to make, and none of it's good from multiple sources. This movie's going to have a very very low opening weekend. But as with all yeah. things, word of mouth can change that. Word of mouth can definitely, if the movie's good, granted, if the movie is good, word of mouth can definitely put seats and have a three to four week solid run, get this up to 400, maybe 500 million, kind of pushing it. Quantumania, I think, made 400 million. So you're pushing it. But I think, because I, I like, I like you said, I like Zachary Levi. He carries it. He's wonderful. But I think they need, they I think they need James Gunn and Peter Saffron to go, hey, let's fix this because there's something good there. Yeah. We got to fix it. I also think it's it's a tough time for the film in the marketplace because Creed mm-hmm. 3 is doing very, very well. It has legs. Scream 6 just opened to a very large number. Everyone yeah. was very surprised. Next week, John Wick 4 opens up. It's, yeah. You know, the marketplace super, super crowded. And so for Shazam to break through, I think when they first circled this weekend, they thought, oh, this is a good weekend for us. We're going to do well here. And then I think everyone filled in around it because they weren't scared of Shazam too. Yeah. <laughs> and and now it's looking, you know, rightfully so. I think that it's going to have a tough time breaking even. And I don't think, you know, ultimately, I don't think DC is all that disappointed by that. I think they'd like to have money, but I don't think they want the headache of, oh, do we have to bring this back? You know, ultimately, I think they're going to be okay with, we can kill this franchise off the same way we killed off Black Adam, which lost us a ton of money. Uh, yeah. Black Adam, oh my god! Which, 
which is interesting about Shazam is that Black Adam was always one of the chief villains in the Shazam comic books. Yeah. Uh, they, they have similar powers. In the first movie, they hint to, Sh- to yes. Black Adam. They're like, oh, whose seat is they, that supposed to be? Yeah. But Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson changed that all up. Right, I'm looking at the box office budget, right? So sh- Black Adam had an estimated $260 million budget. Holy crap. Why? Yeah. Why do you need that big of a budget for that garbage movie? And it made just shy of $400 million. Which for the audience at home, if you're doing box office math, assume 50% is what yeah. these studio is actually taking in and the rest yeah. of the money is going to all the partners. So 400 million is really 200 million going to whoever to whoever the studio is. Yeah. So at a 260 budget, that's about a $60 million write-off just to give context to the fans at home. Yeah, so $60 million loss minimally, if not more, because you also have to consider they had a huge marketing budget and nowadays marketing can balloon up from 50 to 100 million. So you have the box office 260 plus an additional possibly 100. So it could have hit close to $400 million of the cost of that movie. And it made just shy of 200 million. So it is a good shot that that movie lost, Black Adam lost the company Hundreds of millions of dollars. Now you look mm-hmm. to Shazam Fear of the Gods. They have a $125 million budget. Perfectly reasonable. But what did the first, let's see, what did the first Shazam care movie make? 360. So it made just shy of what Black Adam made. Now this was pre-pandemic stuff. So even then, that's not good. For comparison, I believe Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania at this point has made $400 million, which is once again leading up to Marvel probably losing uh, money on that movie. So... Is Captain Marvel or Shazam, Captain Marvel, Shazam Fear of the Gods, is it going to make its money back? Right. It could. It could. Is it likely? Yep. No, but it could. And it, it comes to the point of even if it makes its money back, is it worth it for DC? Do they want a movie that breaks even? It's like, hey, guys, we didn't lose any money. <laughs> you know, if yeah, they're yeah. willing to just throw the rock under the boat and be like, screw you, man, you lost us money. Your movie was crap. We let you do whatever you want. And now you're going to talk crap about us. There's the door. If they're going to do that for the rock, Dwayne Johnson, I can't imagine any of these characters are like, let's keep Billy Batson. I would love to, you know, see him. I don't know. The only the only thing I will say is Gunn is an avowed DC fanatic. He's loved yes. the comic books his whole life. He probably grew up reading Shazam. Yeah. There's a probably an outsized chance that he is enamored with Billy Batson and he wants to use him, but he'll use him in a different way. Maybe not the center of a film because, again, Shazam is, as we've detailed now, it's an expensive proposition. Most of these studios like spending $200 million because $200 million you have a chance of making a billion. If yeah. you make a $50 million film, you probably don't have a chance of making a billion and studios yeah. are only interested in the super profits now. Yeah. Unless it's horror. Uh, and so Shazam doesn't feel like a movie that can be made for that little. So it's probably not a standalone film again. Will we see it in the universe again? Eh, depends. And will we see the characters yeah. return? Is the bigger, even if we right. get That's Shazam I mean. yeah. three or whatever it'll be called, you know, Shazam, um, Shazam and friends or Shazam and the Shazam family. Will we see them as this now personally speaking i could see them keeping shazam in this getting rid of the characters or the actors because the actors are getting older in age to -hmm. the point that it doesn't really make sense for billy batson to be you know the actor i think is going to be turning 17 18 years old soon so with that being said i can see them doing a hbo max show with shazam 
I think sure. that it is a small enough budget that it'll go for the shows and it won't look cheesy, right? You have the yeah. lightning bolt effect and you ground his powers a little bit more. I think if you really make it so that you have this like kind of like family friendly fun, you know, Billy Batson is traveling or doing something or protecting his city from like B-list heroes. I think we could have a good comedy, low budget film that isn't ballooning, that doesn't have all this stuff. And I really think that we can get it. Um, that's I think is the that's I think is the highest margin of hope you can get though. Is if you're a Shazam fan, you're like I love Zachary Levi. Probably watch this movie because you ain't gonna see him again. You might see the yeah. character again, <laughs> but you ain't gonna see. I don't think anybody on this cast, and it's a good cast. I just want to say it is a fantastic cast. I want to just like briefly touch on this because I think it is important to me, and I love it and I love seeing this stuff. It's the diversity. This movie, Shazam and Shazam 2, have such a diverse cast. Arguably, and I don't even think it's an argument. I think this is just a fact. It is the most diverse superhero movie we've probably ever gotten. We have the main character is a white male, whatever. But then you look at his best friend slash brother who is a... um, who has a, a bum leg, so he can't really walk well. They don't really go into that too much, but he is physically impaired. Um, And you have a... Um, he has a black sister, an Asian brother, a Mexican brother, and I think an older white sister. And their father is yep. Pacific Islander and their mother is Spanish or Latina. She's from, the actress is from Spain, but I don't know if that's what they were going for. Sure. So you have a very diverse cast. And then in the sequel, they're bringing on Helen Mirren, which is a white woman, but they're also bringing on Rachel Zeigler, who is Latina and white, and Lucy Liu, who's Asian. And I think yep. in this day and age where you're like, Oh, diversity. Some people are like, oh, diversity is either so forced or so difficult. It's like, this is natural. They're an orphanage. Of yep. course, this family is going to have all people from all walks of life, of all characters, of all backgrounds and races. And um, <laughs> and another thing, too, is the character, the Latino character um, of the family, he's gay. And they do it. And I don't know yeah. if you caught it or some people catch it when they which I'll, once again. This is a kids movie. I don't know why they're going into a titty bar in the first movie. They go to a strip bar, the club twice, I think, in the movie. And then the second time, they're like, they're like, oh, the boys are like wide eyed. And the Mexican kid's like, yeah, not my type of thing. And like my wife looked and she goes, okay, yeah, that was a good. It was a nice little thing to just add a little bit of character, a little thing. And I think that's how you do diversity. So that's why it sucks that like, and also to be clear, since the, the family Shazam's, we are getting not only two actors of those, but we're getting we're, uh, like a black character. We're getting two black actors, two Asian actors, two uh, Latino actors. So we're getting bigger things. Having said that, my one complaint is that the uh, older actor who plays the Mexican kid, when the Mexican kid shazams, the actor who plays that is not Latino. He's Italian. My only hmm. complaint, it's a little frustrating that they, sure. they were like, hey, this guy's brown. Let's use him. Other than that, though, great diversity in this movie. I agree. Uh, one quick note, I will say Marvel's Eternals was yeah. very diverse, That's incredibly true. diverse. I wish it had done better yeah. because that film felt like it was a pandemic casualty and that it just couldn't be filmed. They couldn't reshoot it the way they needed to. They couldn't fix it the way. And so you ended up with that movie, which I know there's a lot of people who really defend it and really love it, but it's a different movie. Everything you were saying about diversity rings true. And I was just thinking Marvel never got one, right? But they did get Eternals. I'll give them credit for that. Yeah. And you could argue in that instance that in the instance of Eternals, they're robots. They're not even true. They're not even people. True. <laughs> yeah. I, I I hope the movie does well. I really do. I hope the yeah. movie does well. Maybe maybe we're just seeing a box office resurgence here where every week, whatever opens is going to do great. I don't yeah. see it. 
I really do hope it does well. I'd love to see Shazam come back in the extended DC universe. So, agreed. I think that's where we're gonna end this segment because you hit it the nail on the head. Is is it? Do I hope it does good? Yes. Is it gonna do good? I can only hope it. I hope it in the least. My final say. My final say on this. I hope it does good enough that while the actors may not ex, you know, make it through the reboot, I hope the characters do. everyone on some past episodes we previewed a couple films so i want to give you a quick review of them and today we're going to be doing scream 6 and creed 3 so scream 6 we're going to start with that one that's the newest one it just came out don't worry no spoilers i'm not going to do that to you i just want to give you a quick rundown of what to expect do you need to see previous scream movies all that important things that you want to want to pay attention to so scream 6 is the obviously sixth uh, film in the scream franchise off the bat, I want to say it's good. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was the greatest movie ever made. I still think the first Scream is better, but that's a high bar to jump. Having said that, I think Scream 6 is good. I think it's a really, really good film. I think it is doing exactly what it wants to do. It is more violent. It is unique. It is taking the Ghostface character into a new direction. It is taking the characters that we already like in this direction with them. And I think it does it naturally. You know, one of the bigs uh, that this movie takes place in New York City. And you kind of start wondering, like, why are they in New York all of a sudden? Well, because it's a sequel to a requel. It is a it is loosely following the events of Scream 2. Now, I really, 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 really can't re recommend watching Scream 2. You should watch the entire Scream franchise before you go into this. But if you're like, hey, Matt, I got 12 hours. That's fine. Watch Scream 2. And in fact, I would say watch Scream 2 over watching Scream 5. Because Scream 2 really is getting you ready for this sequel to a requel. Scream 6 really does follow the beats of Scream 2, it twists and it turns, but it really does. You're going to see a lot of similarities between the two. Major differences, major similarities. You're going to enjoy it, though. Now, the big kind of elephant in the room for this is that Sidney Prescott, the main uh, character of the first four Scream movies, or first three Scream movies, since she was in Scream 4 and she was in Scream 5, um, she's not in this movie. And you might be thinking, oh, like, well, it, it's if you listen to the podcast, you know, it's just money. She wanted more money. They didn't want to pay her more money. So she didn't do the movie with her being gone, though. I got to say it, the movie doesn't really hurt too much. I know the writers come out and said, oh, we had this big script. But when she couldn't get it, we had to rewrite the whole thing. But I honestly kind of think it's for the best. I mean, don't hate me. I really hope she shows up in the future. And it sucks that they, you know, whatever you want to call it, corporate greed, or she was asking for too much, or she was probably getting paid too little. Regardless of it, um, her absence doesn't hurt the movie, and I honestly think that it 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 kind of makes the movie better. The You really get to focus on the four characters of the previous Scream 5 movie. So that's my review. I give it 5 out of 5. I really do think it's a great film. I think it's wonderful. I think the twists are great. It's violent. It's cool. Everything that I want in a movie, it's there. All these characters get their cool little scenes and moments. Now, moving over to Creed 3. Creed 3 is the trilogy ender to the Creed franchise. So for those of you who don't know, Rocky had his whole franchise, and then after Rocky Balboa, they said, hey, let's give someone else some time in the spotlight, and they made it Creed, Adonis Creed. He is the son of um, Apollo Creed, who you see in Creed 1, Creed 2, Creed 3, and who dies in Creed 4. 
Now, the Creed franchise, I think, is good. I think it's been really, really good. Um, it definitely is on par with the Rocky movies, at least the best Rocky movies and best Creed movies, I think, stand side by side. But Creed 3 really takes everything, everything in a new direction. The directing, the camera work, the story, how they film the fight scenes. Because Michael B. Jordan's directing this, and he really made it his movie. And all I can say for him is, he is taking a movie franchise. So it's third in the Creed franchise, uh, nine or ten in the entire Rocky franchise, and he is doing something new and fresh with it, and my god, does it work. If you're an anime fan, watch watch Creed. You don't need to watch Creed. Say you go, oh, I don't like Rocky. Doesn't matter. If you're an anime fan, watch this movie. This movie gives you hope that Michael B. Jordan will direct a Dragon Ball Z movie or a Naruto movie one day because, my God, he makes these fights look crisp and clean. There's just enough anime fights in them to make it... Oh, my God, it's beautiful. I love it. Huge anime fan, Michael B. Jordan. I'm a huge anime fan. I love seeing this... this passion and talent and not making it like silly and ridiculous but making it authentic and really cinematic so i know i gave scream 6 a 5 out of 5 and guess what creed 3 is getting a 5 out of 5 too it is such a damn good movie it is a perfect ender and i'm so excited for the future i hope that latinos are next that we had rocky with this italian uh, you know ancestry we're moving over to creed and african-americans and i hope latinos they get the time to shine. Creed 3 is having little drops of possibly somewhere they might go with Latinos. So I'm hoping that that picks up. Either way, you're going to want to watch Creed 3. It is a damn good movie. Welcome to the all time segment, or as we like to call it, The Vault. Every episode, I put something into the vault so that we can preserve a piece of art, movies, a book, a graphic novel, anime, something, 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 something. Carlos is back to let us know what he's putting in the vault. So, Carlos, what do you have for us today? Hey, so last Sunday, it was the Oscars. Steven Spielberg was nominated, the first person to be nominated in six different decades. He was nominated for The Fablements, which is the... Uh, retelling of his life with the fictional characters but oh, come on it's his life <laughs> so on friday night tcm ran close encounters of the third kind i've seen the movie a million times i think steven spielberg for being as amazing as he is and as celebrated as he is is perhaps the most underrated director in the business some of the things he does some of the the scenes the camera movements incredible no greater example of that than Close Encounters, which has some of the most incredible filmmaking I've ever seen. It's all actual filmmaking. There's no CGI. Well, obviously there's CGI when the aliens, but that's different special effects. Yeah. Again, the way yeah. he just, the situation, he is just so talented and that movie is great. And many of our listeners may not have seen this movie. Please find it. Go watch it. It's a little long for modern tastes. It's worth it. It's a great film. It is one of the best sci-fi. So let me say this about Steven Spielberg, because I, I got to, I will say this. If you were to take all of his movies that use very little to no CGI, he's the greatest filmmaker of all time. There is no second, third, fourth, or fifth place. Steven Spielberg truly, from every aspect of directing, he is the greatest director to ever live and probably who will ever live. He is wonderful. The man falters, though, on his CGI movies. Every time he relies heavily on CGI, I don't know if it's coincidence that the story suffered too. All I know is that when the man goes, hey, I'm going to tell a story and it's gonna, we're going to try to use practical and as little CGI as we can, he makes the greatest movies of all time. When yeah. he tries to heavily rely on CGI, 
the movies just don't hold up to. I don't know what it is, but yeah. he's like George Lucas where they just go, hey, now that we got CGI, let's just do crazy things. And I think something in their brain clicks and go, eh, and then their storytelling skills just go through the floor. So I, that's, that's I, I know it might be a controversial opinion to say, but like, yeah, Steven Spielberg is the greatest director, probably period, even with those bad movies that he's made, because he's made a few bad movies. But even with those, you compare the best of the best, ain't nobody coming close to his movies. I agree with you on that one. And speaking of someone who is the best of the best at what they do. So there's this little show called Scrubs. It is created by Bill Lawrence. I will honestly say, and I will fight anyone. He is the greatest showrunner, showmaker in the history of histories. Everything that man does is damn good. And he's such a chill dude. He's such a dude. Like, so if you listen, I listen to the Scrubs podcast. It's so funny. And whenever he's on there, he's such a chill guy. Scrubs is my favorite sitcom of all time. I think it is the greatest sitcom of all time. Um, do some things kind of maybe not age so well? Yes. But as a whole, I think the way the show handles racism, sexism, diversity, the way it handles these characters, the way it handles a sitcom drama, the way it handles episodics, the way it built these career for these characters and the actors, you know, ignoring the last season. Or the spinoff. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> but yes, I'm with you. The, the, the first eight seasons are so good. Um, God, what a if you haven't seen Scrubs, it's on Hulu. It's on Prime Video. Watch it. Love it. You will instantly fall in love with the genuine nature of these characters and how they're presented and how no one in that show is perfect. One of the things I love about Scrubs is what you said. It's the amazing ability to make you laugh, the absurdity. It's really and then just juxtapose that with how sad and profound it is. And I think we I've heard Bill Lawrence talk about this, how people want from sitcoms, they want to feel the entire range of emotions. Nobody does that better than Bill Lawrence. Oh yeah. If you're if you're new to Bill Lawrence, Spin City, oh yeah, Scrubs, Cougar Town, mm-hmm. which is criminally underrated. That show is so great. We have a penny can here. If you've ever seen the show, you'll get that reference. He did Ted Lasso, of course. Now he has shrinking Ted Lasso award winning Ted Lasso. Bill Lawrence is, is fantastic. Um, Scrubs is absolutely hundred percent. One of my favorite sitcoms of all time. I can sit and watch episodes when I wanted to write a sitcom. I read the pilot like three times. It's so great. He's so talented. I listen to the podcast. The podcast is great, but it's really great just because you get to be with Turk and JD again. Who are lovers? They're, they're pretty you know, much just lovers. You, they're the, they're, they're the yes. most. <laughs> and they're so genuinely themselves. And this is why I like one of the reasons I want to do the podcast and the way I'm presenting myself in this podcast. I looked at that as inspiration because the the was uh, real doctors, uh, fake doctors, real friends. They're yeah. genuine. Arguably yeah. too genuine at times when Turk, you know, the the he talks about his wife and everything and he says inappropriate things and they have to like, nope, we can't we can't do this. I think um JD's the real or um Zach Braff's ex-girlfriend. Zach Braff. Yeah. His, her mom was like, I love the sh- the podcast, but you, could you talk about penises a little less? Like, <laughs> it's such a, if you guys watch my podcast and then also watch this, the, the their podcast, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, it's, they go episode by episode. They're almost done. I think they're trying to figure out what to do because they're about to finish the show. So, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see with that. And yeah, my God, wonderful podcast, wonderful people. Bill Lawrence, if you ever hear this, you're amazing. You're the greatest showrunner in the history of showrunners. That's what I'm putting in the vault. I'm sorry it's so long, so, but Bill Lawrence really deserves this whole segment. 
I love it. Go watch Scrubs. So what do you think? Do you think Scrubs and Close Encounters should go into the vault? If you don't, tell us why. If you do, tell us your favorite scenes. Hit us up on social media. Email me, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. It doesn't matter. Message me. I will respond back to you. I know that we're going to have some even more amazing things. I know you have something great to put into the vault. So hit me up and tell me. everyone, Carlos has spent the last hour yelling Shazam in the hopes of turning into a powerful superhero, and it's driving me crazy. So that's the show. My thanks to Carlos, and you, my dear listeners, thank you so much. Please subscribe to the show, rate, review, and share. Follow me at the Storytime Guy. I'm the Storytime Guy on all socials. Hit me up, message me, tell me how your life's going. I'd love to hear it. And one last thing I really need from you. Have a magical day, everyone. The Storytime Guy podcast is a production of Sonora Media. It is produced by Carlos Arenado, mixed and engineered by Santiago Sierra. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.